I'm Paul Lewis Metzger, the director of the Institute for Cultural Engagement, New Wine, New Wineskins, and thank you for joining us for another episode of New Wine Tastings. We're really seeking to give a taste of how Jesus engages culture and how we seek to pursue Jesus and Jesus' own engagement of culture. And this is bound up today with the theme of the Beatitudes. I'm doing a series on the Beatitudes, and it's going to be the theme of Jesus' Beatitudes and Spiritual Bankruptcy. We're dealing with the theme of bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy, as relates to Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I can think of no worse conversation to have with a banker and a businessman than on the subject of bankruptcy. And yet, as I just alluded to, bankruptcy is a key aspect of kingdom living, according to Jesus. It's John R.W. Stott. Uh, an Anglican minister from London, passed away several years ago, uh, a, a spiritual guru, so to speak, for my wife and me, someone whom we highly regard. He did a commentary uh, for University Press on the Sermon on the Mount, and when he got to that first beatitude, he talks about porn in spirit means spiritual bankruptcy, and that's always stayed with me. And I believe as we deal with this subject matter, we're going to see how important spiritual bankruptcy is to kingdom of God living. Brett Bryant and Greg Goodwin are my guests today as a banker on the one hand and a businessman on the other hand. And they're friends. They're also uh, longtime uh, leaders in the banking world. This is Brett Bryant, uh, who's that, and Greg Goodwin, a business leader uh, for many, many years. And in their work over the years, they've worked a lot with money and a lot of money, so to speak. But that's not the main reason why I've approached him for this conversation. I asked them to speak on the subject of spiritual bankruptcy because in my own experience of interacting with them, I think that that's something that they pursue. I think that's something that they seek to live into, spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, I sense in them a deep and abiding desire to please God and also to care about what God cares for. As the founder of World Vision said, may God break our hearts with, you know, may, may God... Um, how does it go? Uh, break our hearts with the things that break God's heart. And uh, that we'd have that gentleness of heart and that um, spirit that Jesus has. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that theme of gentleness, humbleness, uh, and also the pursuit of poverty of spirit. It's a pursuit, but it's also abiding in Christ. So that's what we're going to be speaking about. So. Brett, Greg, thank you for joining us uh, on this topic of Jesus's Beatitudes and spiritual bankruptcy. Thanks for having us. I love that pause. It's something I need more of in life. Uh, hit the pause button. So thank you. Um, as I mentioned, Stott makes that claim of spiritual bankruptcy. When you first came upon either his line or my introduction to that, when I sent you the outline, what was your first thought when you thought about spiritual bankruptcy? Just first impulse reaction. What was it? Well, I, I um, my first reaction was a memory, a painful mm -hmm. memory. Um, my, uh, I was one of seven kids and um, I'll just speak for myself. I think Brett, Brett and I, because we are friends, we know a little bit about each other. I've had some similar experiences. Um, 
my parents went through some very difficult financial times and uh, experienced personal bankruptcy. And um, it was a, at a you know, formative time in, in my life. And uh, you know, years later, when I embarked on a business career, it's something that I, um, you know, I, 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 I prayed for financial security in my life, uh, for the ability to take care of my family. Never prayed for wealth. Um, I just, uh, I knew what that had, what had occurred in my parents' marriage and their lives because of it. And, and uh, so the first reaction was painful, but honestly, I, I, I'm so grateful that you pointed us to the Sermon on the, on the Mount, the Beatitudes, because I never really focused on that first, that first part, uh, the poor in spirit. So this, this has been a good, a good exercise for me. And it's, from what I hear you saying, it's very visceral to you, very visceral because of the painful experience you had growing up. And so I appreciate that openness, Greg, to share that. Thank you. Brett? Well, as Greg mentioned, um, we've spent a lot of time in the past with each other kind of sharing some of these things. And I have, I had the, the similar experience growing up, uh, five kids, um, you know, kind of too many kids and not enough money. And uh, uh, my parents also filed personal bankruptcy. And I remember them sitting us down and telling us that it's going to be in the newspaper. And because uh, I, I think they list those in a very, you know, arcane spot in the newspaper. And and they were very ashamed. And, and I was worried my friends were going to see it. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, uh, it did mark me because I didn't, I, I, I entered the business world also uh, very much not wanting to ever revisit that place again. Mm. Uh, and so as I, as I, you know, encounter that word, uh, it, it has a lot of, um, you know, kind of still raw nerves with it, that maybe haven't been all the way processed. And of course, uh, being in banking, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the more uncomfortable words that you encounter in, in this profession. Yeah. Again, very visceral, and I appreciate your um, openness as well, Brett, to share on that subject. And, you know, it's really striking as you're both, you know, responding. I immediately thought, again, what a horrible way to start out the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I just, I, I just got to be honest with you. Uh, from the vantage point of someone who's given a State of the Union address, and this to me is like Jesus's equivalent, you know, not just a president, but he's king, king of the kingdom. And he's entering into explaining to his followers in the crowds as he goes up in that mountain, sits down, his disciples come to him, and he begins to teach them saying what the kingdom is like. You don't, if you're the president of the United States, start out a message saying, you need to become bankrupt. You know, in my next year in office, I am going to make sure everyone becomes bankrupt. I mean, who's going to want to be a part of that unless people are already sensing their desperate need for God? And I think he himself creates that desperate need, like Peter in Luke's gospel, where that amazing catch of fit, uh, fish occurs. And he says, away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, because it's the presence of Jesus. Um, as Stott said, the closer we get to God, the more we sense our desperate need. <clears throat> and so I think it's a really haunting verse. And I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses of scripture. And Martin Luther said, 
the Reformation, 95 or 97 theses, depending on the version, <clears throat> when he's pounding them up, the kingdom of God always proceeds by way of repentance. And I think that's key to our Christian life every day of the week. So that said, the psalmist writes, the psalmist writes, Psalm 51, often associated <laughs> with David's sin with Bathsheba and all that followed from that, a broken and contrite spirit, God, you will not despise. Jesus doesn't pull a rabbit out of a hat. That's key to the whole of the scriptures, that kind of spiritual bankruptcy. Uh, and moreover, I believe that all the Beatitudes flow from this one. They lead toward persecution for righteousness, verse 10, but they begin with this one of blessed are the poor in spirit. So in your experience, what led you to sense that your need for God is indeed great, Brett and Greg? I know you believe that. What do you think was the inspiration for that? Well, Greg went first last time, so I, thanks, Brett. I'll go first this time. I, um, you know, I came to faith <clears throat> in my teenage years um, with, um, you know, thinking that Jesus Christ was a curse word and that he was a man he had a middle initial <laughs> and, uh, I uh, I was in I was in the midst of doing a lot of a lot of uh, really just bad things and I remember hearing from a a guy playing a guitar uh, who was a youth pastor a guy named Greg Sanders who uh strummed his guitar and spoke the gospel and told me that Jesus Christ was a real person. <clears throat> and uh, I kind of couldn't believe it. Mm. Um, and then he kind of, you know, outlined how you develop a personal relationship with him. And I remember <clears throat> leaving there and doing that, uh, taking that step of faith. But I did not stop doing all the bad things I was doing. But what still stuns me is that I used to love doing those bad things. And it was very exciting to me. And after that decision, I didn't like doing them. Still mm. did them, but I didn't like doing them. Mm. I loved what he loved. Mm. Um, and that was stunning to me as a... Mm -hmm as a late teenager, how could that happen in a day? <clears throat> as I, as you kind of mature in your faith, you, it, it was easy, so it was easy for me to see kind of my liabilities, the depth of my sin. Um, and it was also easy because of the way I was raised in a poor neighborhood to kind of, um, not view myself as having very many assets and so if you if you look at the technical definition of bankruptcy it's really an admission that you have fewer assets than you do liabilities and that was a very very obvious thing for me and uh it it so in in, in a sense my my conversion to faith to christ uh, might be easier than some who may have more 
resources. I think fast forward to today when we have um, a look into quantum physics where you see the infinitely small and um, you know, kind of galactic science where you see quasars and galaxies and you look at Colossians and it says that Jesus holds all those together. No matter what your wealth, no matter what your skill sets, if you bring those before a God who does those things at the quantum level and at the galactic level to conclude that you have anything to bring at all is kind of kooky. <laughs> and so despite having developed some skills over time, um, relatively speaking, it is very easy for me, particularly given the benefits of modern science to say, I am utterly bankrupt. Yeah. And when you, just as in the financial area, when you conclude that you have much greater liabilities than you do assets, it is an opportunity for a restart. Mm -hmm. And it is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, and, and Christ can fill an empty container like that. And it's, mm -hmm. it, has, it has financial parallels. Um, and you know, it's embedded in our legal code because people need a restart. And I got one. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Powerful. Thank you, Brett. Thank you very much. Amen. Greg. I'm not going to follow him anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, I came to faith later. Uh, I was uh, 31 years old, young dad, uh, had been divorced. Um, uh, but it was three years into Michelle's and my marriage, which is now 40, 42 years. Uh, and um, I don't know, I, I, I think for one thing, with respect to how I have always seen myself in the, in the world before I came to faith and after, um, I think I was given, you know, uh, I guess the gift of empathy. Sometimes it's a gift, sometimes it's not so much, but, um, you know, I could, I felt the pain of a creature, let alone a person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was drawn to the kids in my elementary school. No one else wanted to be friends with. Uh, I just, um, I'm, I'm a very emotional guy. I cry easily. You know, I, I mean, you can make me cry in a cartoon uh, if, if there's enough <laughs> in it. And, uh, and I just, um, I think I've always understood, but in, in that moment of coming to faith, even more so, you know, what a, what a grain of sand I am, how small in, in the universe I am, how, um, just, I don't care what happens to you in terms of success in life. If you really understand your place and you understand the gift, the gift that Christ gave us, then you understand that um, you can never, you can never pay for that. You can never, 
you can never be worthy of it and uh you can never do enough and um so i i don't know i i I thought as a young man that my life would be about service and not about business i really wanted to avoid business because of what had happened with my dad and um but you know circumstances uh you know life happens things happen and and i um i found myself in, in my business thinking it was a very temporary thing and uh and and in a lot of ways found my purpose in 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 business um i i i always felt like and still today feel like a servant um it took me a good year after i retired to uh stop feeling guilty for not going to work uh, and being on time. Um, and, you know, I was a CEO of a company and had 1500 employees. And um, I was always, you know, pretty self-conscious about it. Um, I, you know, I, I have always felt so grateful for you know, turning left when if I'd turned right, it would have led to a different life. Mm-hmm. I think that was the case with my dad. And I, and I don't mean in a particular circumstance, but just the little things along the way that can, you know, trip someone up mm-hmm. or you make a, you know, a bad investment and, you you know, it might break your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Michelle and I married, we had nothing. A few years later, we were, you know, fortunate to have sold a home in Hawaii that appreciated pretty quickly. It was the right time, God's time. And, uh, and we, I was 40 years old. We long had the goal of owning our own business, small business, you know, uh, if that's what was required. Uh, but we, you know, I was very fortunate to meet a gentleman named Wayne Cooney and, um, he, uh, remarkably saw things in me. I didn't, seeing myself and um and he and i became business partners years later you know he gave me voting control of a company for which i was a a minority owner the majority owner thanks to his generosity and that of his wife uh was a then charitable trust after he passed and uh today i'm the chair of that charity and uh you know it just I could never retrace those steps. I could never repay him. And more than anything, I could never repay Christ for, uh, you know, the ways in which I've been blessed. And I've known a lot of people with a lot more capability than me, uh, you know, brighter, harder working people I've met along the way. And uh, for one reason or another, you know, sometimes it doesn't turn out. So, uh, you know, I just, I can only be grateful. Amen. <clears throat> when you uh, spoke about that, that sense of gratefulness, it reminds me of something a mentor and friend of mine, Dr. John Perkins, has said about his own life. He said he has a debt of gratitude, uh, you know, and that, that sense of gratitude of obligation not to pay back, but he just was overwhelmed. And you both... We're talking to be even about uh, how small we are in the universe. Um, grain of sand, I think, Greg, you would use that. And Brett uh, spoke about, you know, you think about the magnitude of the universe and the, 
the cosmic universal <laughs> reality that's out there. Um, the psalmist, Psalm 8, you know, what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for him? We're, we're a speck of dust and yet God delights in us. <laughs> You know, just delights in humanity. That's like the psalmist is lost in wonder, love, and praise. And I think that sense of God's love should create spiritual brokenness. Of sensing God's grandeur and God's grand love for us should create that sense of, wow, fill me. I'm poor. I, I need you, Christ. And so um, thank you uh, both. And this is why I'd approach you uh, for this, because you're speaking from experience in these matters as a banker and as a, as a business person and a businessman. And so a pastor friend of mine uh, had said to me just last night, something that you both were speaking to just now, that the most important thing he has heard from an athlete is the statement that they have not forgotten where they have come from, you know, coming from God could be someone who's had an influence on our lives. You know, Greg, you just alluded to Wayne Cooney and his impact. And I know both of you would no doubt say that there are many people along the way who've had such an investment in you and made such an investment of you in you. And so this pastor said he was just in the car. We were talking in the car and he said, he was just so touched by an athlete he recently heard said, I haven't forgotten where I've come from. I haven't gotten, forgotten where I've come from. I love Abraham Lincoln. I think he never forgot where he came from as a president. I think that groundedness helps us. Um, and he said, where would I be if I didn't have these people speaking into my life? And I think, where would we be without Christ speaking into our lives? And, you know, we didn't call him, he called us as Bonhoeffer says. Um, and so to play off that and to build on that, uh, where would I be without Jesus investing in me? Where would you be without Jesus investing in you? Uh, these are questions that are probing and they probe my own imagination. Uh, just think of those first disciples whom Jesus called. They had nothing by way of the world system. And I think the words meant different things to different people hearing Jesus on that, on that mount. But many of the people who were following him maybe only had the clothes on their backs. Uh, many of them didn't have much. Look at his disciples, they didn't have much. Where would they have been without him? Peter, Andrew, James, John, Mary, Martha, Paul, the list goes on and on and includes us. So includes you. Do you think about where would you be? And you were alluding to it just now, Greg. Where would you be if it weren't for Jesus investing in you? I think you're both getting at that. Uh, what comes to mind as you consider this question then and now? So going further into what you ended with, Greg, Greg and Brett, where would you be in your estimation? Really concretely. Where might you be? And you don't have to come up with a soapbox story or what have you. I'm not looking for that, but just how you process that. And, and then we're going to switch it to in light of that, because he's called us to go further into that gratitude of how that impacts your engagement of others. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, where would I be? Um, I really, I really don't know and it's almost a, it's a scary place to even contemplate because you know like brett i've made choices when i was a kid even into my 20s that um if i'd continued down that path um i don't know if i'd be here today i um i can never look at a person in difficult straits and not see myself there i can never do that it's, um, 
you know, Brett is involved in a, in a movement that my wife and I love to support. It's about financial literacy, mm. access to banking, et cetera. You know, it, it's, I, I can't escape in the current dialogue the notion that in spite of all the things that happened in my family, I'm still privileged. And that my privilege is part, that, that's the worldly part of the success that we've had, you know, and, and so you have to carry that as responsibility and you can't, you, I don't think you can really escape it when you look at, so when I look at others, you know, in terms of our philanthropy, we focus on, uh, on uh, people who are insecure with respect to food, insecure with respect to, to housing, or they don't have access to education or even the most basic needs being met. Um, you know, I was part of a family that was on welfare and food stamps at one point, and, and we were homeless for a period of time when I was a teenager. We moved in with my aunt in a tiny little place, uh, and you know it was not it was not great. But anyway, I just um, I I know I would be in a different place, and and I'm just in awe of the circumstances that I really believe God placed me in, that have led me to where I am today. And I just I love what you said about the an athlete saying. You know, I, I won't forget where I came from. And it's been a mantra for me my whole life. Um, my son uh, reached out last week. I have a son who's in politics in Northern California. And he said, um, I want to tell you about this young guy that we're reaching out to, to, to do a, a PSA for vaccines. Um, he was just drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. His name's Najee Harris. And, um, and he said, this guy grew up, he was homeless. And one of the first things he did when he was drafted was he came to the Bay Area and he held a party for homeless people in his neighborhood yeah. and um, people that he knew and grew up with. Yeah. And I'd love to meet that, that kid someday, you know, because he's got, I don't know, I'm, I'm grateful. I can't help but be grateful for what, I experienced as a kid because I think it was formative and I have no doubt that it was formative for Brett as well. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Thank you very much, Brett. Greg, I love listening to you. <laughs> I, we should just jump to the next question and ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys kind of remind me of Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood. You kind of play off of one another like the Rolling Stones guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> you riff off one of them. That's probably too. That's probably too close to the to the truth. If we reach back some decades, and let's yeah. not go there. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think of um, some some poignant moments. Um, whenever you have uh, situations like Greg and I grew up in, it's not it's not just you know financial challenge. It's it's abuse, it's housing, <clears throat> it's alcohol, it's drugs. <clears throat> and uh, I saw all of that. I saw early death, early suicide uh, from, from a lot of those things. Um, 
and uh, it's it's not difficult for me at all, as Greg mentioned, to kind of see somebody in a difficult situation. It's not difficult for me at all mm -hmm. to reach one foot away and say, that's me. Mm -hmm. That's me with a couple more left or right turns when they should have been right or left. That's me. Um, and um, so I, I'll never forget a, when I was, you know, I was probably 12 years old. We were living in this just rundown house with garbage bags where the windows should be and everything was broken. I was very ashamed to live there. <clears throat> I had played football the previous year, you know, Pop Warner or whatever. And for some reason, the coach remembered me. I had no intention of going out for football again. It was way too hard. <laughs> and he found me. He looked for me. And he found where I lived. And he came onto my porch. And he knocked on my door. And I answered the door. And it was him. And I remember feeling so ashamed that he knew where I lived. And he was standing on my porch. And he said, Brett, I want you. And he could have filled in about anything in that blank to follow. And I would have said yes, because I just wanted somebody to want me mm -hmm. to do something. Um, and it, it's kind of a parallel for me to Christ, you know, because he's, I, I learned that he didn't have a middle initial and that he, that he was God <laughs> and that he wanted me. Uh, and he came with unbelievable resource. And I made a lot of left turns when they should have been right. A lot of right turns when they should have been left. He was with me in both the left and the right. And when it should have been right and I went left, he brought me back. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a question I could go on for a long time, but I won't. Uh, but it's, it's just, uh, uh, it's just a, it's just a deep well there. And uh, as, as Greg said, you just kind of fall on your knees every day with gratitude. And I, I don't know why. I don't know why you did that. <laughs> I don't know why I'm here with in this place at this time. Could be so very different. And I find that uh, both of you just knowing uh, a bit of your stories and I'm learning more today and it's really powerful to me personally because some of this I haven't heard before. I knew that there was something behind it all in terms of the trajectory of what I sense is poverty of spirit and I knew hints and pieces, but not, not at this level um, of, of depth dimension. Uh, I also know that you're both very concerned for wise investments. It's not that we be flippant. While God graciously bestows favor, pours out the sun and the rain on all peoples lavishly. Um, you know, 
I see birds in our backyard, the way they waste the seed and such. I mean, God doesn't get fixated on this. I mean, God makes good investments. Jesus calls us to make good investments, but a lot of times we blow it. And I think the difference in how you approach resources from what I know of you is that you don't have this mindset, well, they just need to be wiser. They need to not be so lazy. They need to be this. And once they get their own act together, then we'll consider supporting. I mean, Brett, you're helping train people to be better with their resources. And Greg, I know how you invest in people and caring for people. And I think a lot of people don't think that way. And I think you probably wouldn't think this way yourself if you hadn't sensed your debt to God. <laughs> um, and I think, I do think, not to make it a formula, but I do think as you were sharing, I think God may bless you with resources in part because God knows that you are going to not forget where you come from. And I, that's not meant as a formula, uh, but that when we don't forget where we're coming from, we don't forget other people in similar situations and we'll be better stewards. And uh, so I'm gonna build on that. I'm gonna move forward. And Brett, you haven't shared a bit of your own story. Maybe you'll weave that in a little bit in terms of uh, profession as Greg had alluded to. 1,400 employees, Greg? For, did you say 1,400 employees? Yeah, oh almost 1,500 toward the end before we, uh, I retired. That's a lot of employees. <laughs> so, but again, I want people to hear that as we move into the next segment, as we're rounding the corner, uh, these people here, Brett and Greg, really do take seriously financial investment in light of God's investment in them and in light of other people investing in them. And I think there's something here for us because Luke's gospel with blessed are the poor, cursed are the rich, is a parallel to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5. And often conservatives tend to read blessed are the poor in Luke 6, 20, in light of Matthew 5, 3, which is wrong. And liberals tend to read Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, in light of Luke 6, 20, and that's wrong. Allow both to stand on their own. As Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart say so well uh, in this passage from a famous book, second edition, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, they put it so spot on. In Matthew, the poor are the poor in spirit. In Luke, they are simply you poor, in contrast to you that are rich. On such points, most people tend to have only half a canon. And I see that, conservatives and liberals have half a canon. Traditional evangelicals tend to read only the poor in spirit. Social activists tend to read only you poor. We insist, and I insist with them, that both are canonical, both are biblical. And we have to let them live in tension. And then they synthesize it so beautifully here. And I quote, in a truly profound sense, the real poor are those who recognize themselves as impoverished before God. And that's the way we should all be, that we're poor before God, impoverished before God. But the God of the Bible who became incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth is a God who pleads the cause of the oppressed and the disenfranchised. One can scarcely read Luke's gospel without recognizing his interest in this aspect, a divine revelation. Douglas Fee or Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. So I come back to this. Um, you know, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And there's a sense in which, you know, we are to make good investments 
with money. Jesus speaks a lot about money and stewardship of resources and like for the sake of philanthropic work. So theocentric, God-centered work leads to philanthropic work in my estimation scripturally. And there needs to be a pursuit of multiplication and long-term growth and development. And I know you both are about that. It's how to invest to build. It's not always a financial return on investment. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really not that at all, but it is a return on investment kingdom worth of multiplication of impact on people's lives for holistic transformation of the whole person and the whole community. I know that's what you're both about. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but that's what I think you're about. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to invest in lasting eternal treasures where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. But Jesus doesn't mean by that, don't think about the poor. He says in Luke's gospel to his disciples, because the kingdom of God has been given to you, give your proceeds to the poor. So it's like, and I, I see a lot of Christians in my circles tend to think, well, because God's given us the kingdom, we don't have to care about the poor. I'm thinking, well, we haven't read Luke's gospel then, have we? Um, it's a both and, not an either or. And if we really know how deep our own need is and how impoverished we are, we'll care for the physical poor too. The two go hand in hand. Otherwise, we only have a half a can. So I've shared that statement from Douglas uh, Stewart and Gordon Fee. How do you seek, Brett and Greg, to make eternal investments in your various philanthropic endeavors? Because I think that's what you're doing. But how do you seek to do that? You're at your turn, Greg. I think that Greg kind of already mentioned something that really drives me. He mentioned kind of a constellation of different areas of giving that he and Michelle use uh, as a guide. And I, I like it so much because uh, the, the phrase I like is the right resource at the right time for the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, as I think about my own, you know, so, some of these kind of threshold moments that you have, um, when I got to high school, I couldn't afford the $35 application fee to play football at high school. Somebody paid that for me for a few years. I never knew who. Um, and, um, you know, we, we needed food. We, we got the USDA food. We went to the food banks. Uh, we had, they called them food stamps back then, did, did that. Um, I got that. Um, we had a doctor, uh, Dr. Christ in Eugene, that gave us free health care. I don't know why. Uh, he gave us free physicals for sports. Um, and um, you kind of don't know where a person is, but they, there's a constellation of resources that are out there that need to find the right person at the right time to get them to move forward. And so I love people who think like Greg uh, uh, about that because I, I just think it's true. And in my case, um, I came from a, a gener- generations of loggers. I have pictures of my, my grandfathers and great grandfathers with oxen teams pulling logs out. And my dad lived in um, logging camps. And one, uh, I, 
I got something from my dad when he passed away a few years ago, and it was a gun that he always talked about that his grandfather used to shoot deer. It's an octagon barrel Winchester, and I have it now. And I, you know, <laughs> I look at it and I hold it. And and um, when I was about sixteen, I, I you, you start having these kind of thoughts like, why are we poor? How did we get here? Um, and why are other people not poor? Is it like a conspiracy? <laughs> you know, how, how does this happen? And then I read a book called Money Dynamics for the 80s, written by a woman named Vanita Van Caspel. And it was in the, it was kind of in the, I think she wrote it in the late 70s. But it was just a systematic look at how you build wealth. And what I realized is that my family, grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, had been doing it wrong for generations. And so there, I, I understood very early on that there was something called intergenerational poverty. You learn bad habits and you don't break them because that's what you think is normal. And my parents were doing all of them. <laughs> and, and so was I, I was starting down that path. But the combination of learning that the God of the universe loves you and information that is very practical uh, led me to a career in financial services. Mm. And so I spent um, 37 years in banking and mostly on the wealth management side of banking. Um, and essentially, um, for, for most of those years, my wife and I have been doing financial counseling for um, people in crisis. And it's, it's essentially um, uh, Brett, we lost the sound for a second. Yeah. It's, it's where you said basically, and then it cut off. Uh, not sure yet. Yeah, now it's better. Sometimes my computer gets tired, I think. Can you hear me now? <laughs> it's working. I can hear you. I can hear you. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I can't remember where you lost me. Yeah, it was, was you were just explaining what you and your wife have been doing with financial uh, counseling and such just started. Yeah. So when, when you, when you are, um, you know, financially in a corner, you have very few options and, um, essentially learning how the financial system works and learning what to ignore from, uh, organizations that are kind of predatory and not doing those things. And then putting disciplines in your life that, um, really, if you add, you know, 10 years uh, to, to good discipline, you get, you get some really great results. Um, those, those, that kind of teaching um, has, has really allowed us to see people um, come out of uh, very, very dark financial situations, mm. uh, get a little bit of financial margin and, in, and have options. And when you have options, you can, you can kind of become who God wants you to be. Absent options, you, you really, you're really very, very limited in what, what you can do. And so 
we personally love seeing that kind of freedom um, as opposed to slavery to debt or overspending or whatever. So that that's, <clears throat> Greg alluded to it earlier. Um, I, I love, I love providing that resource uh, together with other people who do housing and transportation and food um, because, you know, we were not always the right resource, but, but sometimes we're the right resource at the right time. And what I hear you saying with that is again, because God had invested in you and I, I even sensed from you know, how others invested in you, you're investing in others. And I, I even sensed a passion point in your, uh, maybe that's why the computer kind of shut down and got tired, Brett, because once you started talking about what you've been doing, you and your wife have been doing with counseling people, I, I sensed even a greater passion for work. Cause I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it's because it comes so close to home for you in terms of your own life experience. It's like, you want to invest because you didn't go down that path that others before you did. And you're grateful and you really want to invest in other people so that they can experience the joy of that kind of freedom of options, so to speak. Am I, am I missing something or is that really at your heart? That's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, it, there, there's people who, <clears throat> who say, you know, I was poor as a kid, but I never knew I was poor as a kid. And um, now in this society, if you're poor, you know, you're poor. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, there, there just aren't options available to you that, that there are to others. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I very much still believe we do live in a land of opportunity mm -hmm. and with, with, um, with the resources that are available, you can search them out. Um, you can move from one place to another. Yeah. And um, uh, having said that, there are a lot of predatory organizations that do what they can to keep you in that spot. Mm -hmm. And I, and I very much, um, would like to help put them out of business uh, because they make a bad situation worse. That's so well put and prophetic. Thank you, Brett. Greg. Well, uh, it absolutely is. And uh, I just kind of want to extend that a little bit, at, at least in terms of where uh, Michelle and I like to invest in, in this organization that, that Brett uh, has really he and Patty and others have created for our community. And then uh, our, our number one uh, charity is called Friends of the Children, uh, a, an organization that started in, uh, in Portland 28 years ago. <clears throat> and um, Michelle and I have been involved in that for about 10 years. And uh, wonderful Christian man, Duncan Campbell, his wife, Cindy, they started it, uh, the organization and it is it's designed to address this issue of intergenerational poverty. It's designed to address the fact that for really in the, in the world we live in now and in the country we live in now, I completely agree with Brett. There's, <laughs> if I can get to this point financially, uh, I, I really believe anyone can, but um, uh, I, um, I share the belief that Duncan has that there are some children whose circumstances are so impoverished, not just physically, but spiritually, 
and uh, that there's just a, a, a complete lack of resources around them available to them in some cases. And you know, if you're paying attention, you can tell who these children are at a very early age. And, uh, and so Friends of the Children provides paid professional uh, mentors who, um, uh, you know, their full-time job is to work with these kids. We bring a child in the program and we're with them for 12 and a half years, no matter what. Uh, if a child gets expelled from school, they can't be expelled from Friends of the Children. Their mentor is spending time with them, um, you know, every week, uh, 12 months a year. And uh, it's a wonderful organization and it's changed countless lives and really had an impact in our community. And I'm fortunate to be on the national board. And, uh, you know, we, when I came on the national board, I think we had seven locations in the country. Now we have 22 and we're well on our way to 25 and maybe 30 and more because it really resonates with people. Uh, you know, when they, when, when we have the data, because that was, Duncan was a, an accountant and a CPA and a child of alcoholics who, you know, really, really, he was raised in, in uh, you know, really tough situation, uh, yet managed to uh, become a very successful businessman. And, uh, but I, I love the model because the model is about saying, you know, this can stop. Uh, I, I look at it as, you, you know, when you change one child's life, you you could be changing the lives of many people throughout several sure. generations. And uh, so I call it, you know, founding families. Hmm. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's really, it's really significant to see uh, some of the young people that came through this program, a number of them become mentors after they get through college because you know they they want to create the same opportunity for others just like Brett was talking about. so anyway it's it's um you know uh we've talked about it we both knew the other side of the tracks and uh uh we've been lifted up by christ we've been lifted up by many people who helped us along the way some we don't know who they are and we never will but um uh, you know, you, you can't help but want to replicate that yeah. uh, in other people's lives if you've been given that gift. Yeah, well, well put. Uh, thank you, uh, Greg. Thank you, Brett. And so um, we've, we've come full circle. We've talked about spiritual bankruptcy and our need to sense our desperate state before God of deep need that we're bankrupt. Uh, and that, that is what's bound up with poverty of spirit, a broken and contrite spirit God will not deny when there's nothing in the bank account spiritually. And the more we sense our need, the, the more we sense our gratitude, the more, if, if that's really happening, we're going to sense the need to care for others who experience need. It, it flows, it's a barometer to me. If I don't sense the need to care for others with compassion and empathy, to use Greg's language before about empathy, I, I need to take a, a spiritual inventory, so to speak, um, of what's going on inside my heart. Because if I say I love God, but I don't love my brother or sister, I don't love God. And so it's to me, a mirror, it's a barometer. And I think that the one flows from the other. And so you're talking about that need for God and engaging the needs of people in our society, the disenfranchised and the like. And if we truly sense it, 
spiritually, we will care for the physically, the mentally, and the emotionally impoverished. And we're all that in many different ways. And as we close here, um, I just want to give you an opportunity to share any final words you might have about what God has placed on your hearts. I know you just mentioned Friends for the Children, uh, uh, Greg and Brett, you had alluded to some of your work. Just speak to that if you wish. And uh, that theocentric investment from God to you is leading you toward philanthropic investment in the lives of others. Any closing thoughts you wish to share? Well, I, um, I'll sound like a politician when I say this, but um, it's friendsofthechildren.org in case anybody wants to look them up. Um, I, I just am grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to talk about this in the presence of two, two brothers whom I admire and love. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the gift. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm grateful to be in a place where, um, you know, God has really uh, created a purpose for me at a, you know, that, that uh, is wind in my, in my sails mm -hmm. and uh, it makes me feel invigorated every day. Uh, I really, I, Rick Warren's book was really meaningful to me and, and his um, challenge, if you've been given a lot to reverse tithe, I'm not there, but I, you know, our estate's going to look like that. And, uh, and I, and, you know, I, I honestly, I think God keeps challenging me to, uh, to hew to that advice and get as close as I can. And, um, so it's, uh, I'm just really grateful. Thanks for the, for the time. Thank you, Greg. Brett? Well, <clears throat> Also, uh, thanks uh, for giving giving me this time. I've I've loved uh, hearing even pieces of Greg's story that I didn't know, uh, so that's fun too. Um, and a, a real bonus, the uh, organization that I'm involved with that I've been talking about is called Lighthouse. And um, essentially, what we do is we have a, a credit union that. Um, provides affordable financial services and a training group that provides uh, accessible financial education and coaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also provide emergency funding for people who are in, uh, in desperate, desperate situations. Mm -hmm. um, we do that with partners. And um, I, I still kind of stand in awe that, that um, you know, God took an idea and said, yeah, that's a good idea. I always like that he resources what he wants to do. Mm. Um, and uh, I um, uh, thank you, Paul, for, um, for new wine. Uh, pray for you often because this is uh, not only an amazing endeavor with new wine, but it comes at a particularly poignant time for you. Um, very challenging time for you. And uh, I've just admired how you've, how you've weathered this and continue to uh, to kind of go through um, very very difficult time with the presence of Christ. Thank you, Brett. Keep it on. Thank you, Brett, and thank you, Greg. And Brett, uh, without sounding too political, uh, what's the website for 
uh, lighthouse. Since no. Greg gave the website, is there a website? <laughs> yeah, pro probably, and I should know it. And I. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's okay. I didn't. Mean I don't. <laughs> okay. But but uh, say it again. Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Yes. Lighthouse uh, Community Credit Union. Yeah. Uh, but I should say that that just merged with Rivermark Credit Union in Portland. So we're now crossing the river. And uh, our other partner, in addition, is Save First Financial Wellness. Hmm. Um, um, and um, then we have the Lighthouse Financial Foundation. Um, Wonderful. And I encourage and I encourage viewers to check out what Brett has just shared about and what Greg has just shared about because it will inspire and and it gives ideas like to come alongside to learn from to draw from the the expertise and to multiply these endeavors because God's kingdom because God's love is always turning outward and it's uh, God's not insular God turns outward for God so loved the world that he gives only so God gives and gives and multiplies Satan tears down and takes away God multiplies and uh, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but I've come that you might have life Amen. and have it to the full and I want to thank you uh, I want to thank Brett and Greg uh, what you just shared Brett it just it, it hits me about with my son's situation I just I, that's my life first of ministry is John 10 10 and I'm praying that over my son every day the thief mm -hmm. comes to steal and kill and destroy what I've come you may have life and give it to the full and, and God does that in the ways that Brett and Greg are talking about and as we are spiritually bankrupt seeing our deep need for God God flows through us to impact others like God flows through us and impacts us so for uh, Brett Bryan for Greg Goodwin for for me, Paul, uh, Louis Metzger, thank you so much for joining us for New Wine Tastings as we seek to reflect upon Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God bless you all. Bless you.